It's an old story, but it's one that's worth telling again. There was a little Baptist church in a quiet little town in the Midwest. And, well, it was a quiet little town until one of the local businessmen decided to open a strip club, which he did. Well, this upset a lot of people in town, but especially the little Baptist church, which was just, oh, I don't know, half a mile down the road. So the leaders of this particular church decided they would have an all-night prayer vigil and that they would pray that, that God somehow would remove this business from their community. So they had this all-night prayer vigil. During the prayer vigil, a thunderstorm came up. Right at the end of the prayer vigil, a bolt of lightning hit the strip club, caught on fire, and it burned to the ground. Well... The owner knew that the church had prayed that something would happen. So the owner sued the church. He sued them and he said it was their prayer that caused his business to burn down. Well, the church hired a lawyer and they denied it. They didn't have anything to do with it. So when it went to trial, the judge said, Well, I don't know how this is going to turn out. But it's pretty obvious to me that the owner of the strip club believes in the power of prayer more than the Baptist church does. There's <laughs> a lot of truth there. Sometimes we talk about prayer and, and we pray. But sometimes a whole lot doesn't happen. Or at least it appears to us that a whole lot doesn't happen because of our prayers. And sometimes when our prayers are answered, we act surprised. Like, oh, it works. Well, of course it does. The Apostle Paul at the end of his letter to the Colossians, has three things that he shares with them of how they can make a difference. They as a church and they as individuals can make a difference in society. And he shares those three things with them. And the first one that he shares with them is about prayer. As we go through the next three weeks, we're going to look at all three of these difference makers. But today, we're learning about difference makers Pray diligently. Look at Colossians 2. I'm going to begin in verse 2. Incidentally, prayer is one of the core values of Clarksburg Baptist Church. And if you were here some weeks ago, we talked about it. But we want to look at prayer again because of its importance. And so in Colossians chapter 2, we read this. In verse 2, he says, Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful. And thankful. When he says devote yourselves to prayer, he's talking about persisting in, that we are to be diligent in our prayers. But the one thing he's talking about is that we are to be diligent in our prayers in spite of the circumstances. In spite of the fact that things don't seem to be going our way, we are to be diligent. We are to continue. We are to be people who persist in prayer, regardless of the circumstances. One of the examples from the Cuban church, the El Hordan church in Havana, they received um, a piece of land that someone gave them, and they decided to build a new church. They also had little funding to start the building of this new church, but they had to go to the government first to receive permission, a permit, to build. So they made their application to the government. And months went by, 
And finally they got a call and they said, we need you to come in. So they went in and they met with the government officials and the officials said, well, he said, we've reviewed your plan and you need to make these adjustments and resubmit it. So they did. And they took it back. Months went by. Got another phone call. You need to come back in. So they went in and sat down with a government official and he says, well, we reviewed your revised plan and you need to make these changes. So they took it and sent them away. This went on for 13 years. 13 years. Finally, after 13 years, they got another phone call and as they had many, many, many before and the pastor wondered, well, what are they going to tell us this time? But they went and they walked in the guy handed him a permit. The point is that it would have been so easy for them to give up. I think I would have. After about the third or fourth time I went in, I probably would have, to be honest. But they knew that God had called them to build this church. And so they prayed diligently in spite of disappointment after disappointment after disappointment. And finally today, they worship in this wonderful, wonderful building that they keep expanding and, and, and it gives them the ability to minister in their community. But they were diligent in prayer in spite of the circumstances. And that's what he's talking about here, Paul is, when he writes to the Colossians. What prayer does, when we are diligent in prayer, it shows us that we have a dependence on God a lot of times what happens is we will tell God what we want and we will tell him the time frame that we want it in and we will also tell him how we want it done and then when it doesn't happen that way we get disappointed and we tend to give up sometimes the, the idea is if you pray diligently trusting God then what it does is it takes you out of the equation in the sense that it's not up to you when it happens. And it's not up to you how it happens. But it, what it makes you do is trust in God. If God has really called you to something, then you want to pray about it. You want to pray for it. But you also want to put your dependence in God. Because as soon as you put your dependence in yourself, you're going to be disappointed. And also, if it happens then sometimes it leads to pride because you say, look what I did. Look what I did when it was really God. But what Paul says to the Colossians, he says, obviously, devote yourselves to prayer, but he says to be watchful and thankful. What does watchful mean? Well, it means a mental alertness. In other words, you need to pray with a mental alertness of what's going on around you. Informed prayer is powerful prayer. Informed prayer is personal prayer. Informed prayer is a purposeful prayer. That's why when, when you submit prayer concerns, we ask that maybe just give us a little information on this particular person or this particular need. I mean, we don't want a whole medical history. We don't want their social security number and all their personal information. We don't need stuff like that. But for instance, if, if you're you have an aunt who's going to the hospital and she's going to have, you know, tell us, that, you know, she's going to have surgery. We can pray specifically for that. And to me, it makes the prayer so much more powerful. It makes it so much more personal. 
And as we'll see here in a little bit, it also helps the connection that we have with that person. But the other thing that Paul is talking about here is not just when people ask you to pray for something. What he's saying is you need to be alert and you need to be aware of things going on around you. You need to be on the look for things that need prayer. When you're riding down the street, when you're in your workplace, if you're a student, when you're at school, wherever you are, you need to be alert to things that are going on around you that need to be the objects of your prayer life. Don't just wait for people to bring them to you. Don't just pray about things that are your needs. But be watchful to things that are going on around you. And then he says to be thankful. You are to be watchful with a spirit of thankfulness. If you think about Paul's circumstances, it would have been easy for Paul, when he wrote this, to be discouraged. He's awaiting trial. And so he's praying. But he says, I want to do it in an attitude of thanks. When you pray with an attitude of thanksgiving, it does not ignore the troubles and the obstacles and the situations. In other words, Paul is not saying, well, if you pray with thankfulness, it'll sort of help you forget that there are things that are going on. That's, that's not really what he's talking about. And it doesn't mean that you're delusional, that those things have magically just disappeared. But what he wants you to do is to pray with thankfulness in spite of the situation that you are in. Recognize the situation, but pray with thankfulness that God is going to work in spite of the situation. Think about it. If there is sickness, yes, there is sickness. You want to acknowledge that there's something going on in you that's wrong. But you can pray with thankfulness because the person you are praying to is the great physician. Let's say you're going through financial concerns. You can pray with thankfulness knowing that the God that you are praying to is the owner of everything. Let's say you're going through a time where, where your work has just become so tiring you just don't think you can go on. Well, you're praying to a God who scripture says will lift you up on eagle's wings. Who will give you the strength that you need to do your work. Let's say people are opposing you. It's a fact. You don't want to ignore it. But when you pray in a spirit of thankfulness, you're praying to a God who promised never to leave you or forsake you. That's how you pray with thankfulness. Verse 3 of chapter 4. He says, And pray for us too. That God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Often when we pray, we focus on the circumstances of our lives. Uh, what's going on with us? And, and we pray that those circumstances might be removed or improved. And it, it happens a lot when we pray for other people. We, we pray that, that God might change their circumstances and make things better for them. But what's interesting about Paul here is he's asking the Colossian church not to pray that his circumstances would change, but rather that God might open a door in spite of 
his circumstances. Nowhere does he say to them, pray that I'll get out of jail. He doesn't say that. His prayer is basically, I'm in jail, so pray that while I'm in jail, God will open a door so that I can still share this wonderful message about Jesus Christ. That's what he's praying. Regardless of the physical circumstances, Paul wants them to pray that he has doors open to him to share the message. There's another example from the Cuban church. The, the Cubans have a phrase, no es facil, which means it's not easy. Every Cuban I know knows that phrase. What they do is, well, no es facil means it's not easy. Did I tell you that? Sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. If I did, you know it twice. They live in a country where the government controls everything. The government controls their freedoms. The government controls their movements. The government controls their education. The government controls every aspect of their lives. The average Cuban makes the equivalent of $20 a month in salary. Also, they don't know from one month to the next, from one week to the next, whether they're just going to have the basic goods that they need to live. Sometimes you'll go to the store, they have eggs and milk and butter. You may go the next day, shelves are empty. They never know from one day to the next. But they're resourceful people. But what they don't do is they don't complain. In fact, the, the Cubans will tell you this is our reality. The pastor of the church in Havana, Michael, will say, This is our reality. He's not complaining. He's just admitting that this is the situation we find ourselves in. This is our reality. This is how we live. This is what's going on currently in our lives. And they never ask us to pray that their reality will change. They never ask us to pray that their circumstances will change. They never ask us to pray when they go to the store that there will be eggs and butter. They never ask us to pray that somehow this is freedom, everything's going to open up. No, what they ask us to pray for is that in spite of their reality, that God will continue to open doors for them to share the love of Christ and to minister in their communities. It says a lot for us. Not to pray necessarily that God would change our reality, but to pray that God will certainly open doors for us in spite of our reality. Paul says that he's in prison because he's proclaimed the mystery of Christ. That's what he wants to keep uh, sharing. The idea of the mystery, it's not some great secret. It's just the idea that, that it's been revealed in Jesus Christ. The idea that salvation is now available not only to the Jews, but salvation is available as well to the Gentiles. And Warren Wearsby talks about this mystery. He says it's not like a puzzle that you have to figure things out. Rather, it's like a treasure chest that you open up. And that's what Paul is saying. He says, this mystery is not a, a puzzle that somebody has to figure out. It's a treasure chest that I want to open to these people and share with them these wonderful riches of knowing Christ. But there's something else he prays for or asks them to pray for. In verse 3 of chapter 4, he says, Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. 
The word that's translated here, proclaim, actually means manifest. Uh, manifest means to reveal or to display. Uh, some of the definitions are to make clear or evident to the eye or the understanding. And another one that I really like says to prove, to put beyond doubt or question, to lay it open for everyone to see. That's what Paul is praying for. This mystery, this wonderful message that he has, he doesn't just want an opportunity to preach it. He wants them to pray that when he does, it will just become so clear and so evident to everyone who hears it that they will accept the message and find a life with Christ. That's what he's praying for. And he says, as I should. I want to make it, uh, proclaim it clearly, as I should. He sees it as an obligation. This is his calling. This is what he's supposed to do as a believer. And the implication for us is it's what we are all supposed to be doing as believers. Whether it is in our words or our actions or whatever, we are supposed to be proclaiming clearly the message of Christ. What happens a lot of times is we will speak one way in church, but then we speak a different way outside and, and what happens is we have given a muddy picture not a clear picture of what it means to be a follower of Christ sometimes we will act one way in the church and we will act another way in in the community or in the workplace and what we do in the process is, is give a very muddy picture rather than a clear one of what it means to be a follower of Christ there's some implications for us as a church, and there are a couple that, that come to mind. One is the idea that, that people will say to me sometimes, you know, Pastor, about the only thing I can do is pray. All I can do is pray. I'm like, great. <laughs> that's, that's what we want you to do. That's a phrase we have to get away from. All I can do is pray. What we need to get around to is the idea that the most we can do is pray. Before we do anything in our lives, in our church, anywhere, we need to pray. We need to pray before we do it. We need to pray while we're doing it. We need to pray when we're done doing it. It's not the least you can do. It's the most you can do. And it should involve everything that we do. You know, we need to pray for, for our church we need to pray for our church council and we need to pray for our leaders and we need to pray for pastors and staff and we need to pray for teachers and for missionaries and for your family and for the community and for the nation and for the people you work with and for the world and, and, and for yourselves. It's not the least you can do. It's the most you can do and you should do it all the time. But as we said earlier, you need to pray specifically. You know, if you want to pray, uh, well, bless our church, well, that's fine, and God has. <laughs> and he's going to continue to do that. But pray specifically. Pray for the finances. Pray for new leaders to come on. Pray for the witness in the community. There are a whole lot of things that you can pray for specifically. Do that. Don't just pray generally. The second thing, and he doesn't say this, but he implies it. And it's the idea that prayer binds us together. He, he asked the 
Colossian church, Paul, who's in jail, asked the Colossian church to pray for him and to pray very specifically. But he does that because he realizes that prayer binds us together. In fact, Maxie Dunham has said, to be bound with persons in prayer secures a relationship, keeps it whole and growing in a way nothing else can. If you are estranged from someone, someone you were real close to at one time, and because of circumstances you've grown apart, some disagreement or someone hurt you in some way or another. Do you know what? When, when you pray for that person, if you genuinely pray for that person and pray specifically for that person, in your heart, you can no longer be estranged from them because what you have done is you've created a bond. They may never respond. But you can never feel the same about them again if you genuinely pray for them. Also, when you pray for people either that you know, maybe a family member or a good friend, or when you pray for someone you don't know, like there's a family in our church that occasionally puts a, a young lady in California on our prayer list. They don't know her. Someone they know in California knows her and asks to pray. But you know what? I've prayed for that lady for a long time. And I feel a bond with her. I feel a bond with her. I don't know what her face looks like. I don't even know exactly what her problem is. But I feel a bond. When we pray for people, it creates a bond. Also, when you pray with people, your fellow believers, when you pray with your fellow believers, not just in this building and not just at this worship time, not just maybe on a, a Wednesday or a Tuesday night in, in one of your life groups, but when you truly pray with your brothers and sisters in Christ, it creates a bond. It links you in a common experience of going together before God's throne bringing things to him, praying for people, asking for his guidance. There's a bond that it creates. You can't see it. You can't touch it. But those of you who pray regularly and who have prayer partners and who pray with other people, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Prayer binds us together. We are united as a church because of our relationship with Jesus Christ. But what holds that together is our prayer life. When we join together in prayer, it links us together. So prayer is something we cannot neglect. It's something we need to be about. It's something that we need to be intentional about. We need to be watchful. We need to be thankful. We need to pray in spite of circumstances. We need to pray that God will open doors, not necessarily relieve our circumstances. Because there is no partnership that I know of comparable to a partnership that we know in prayer. So my friends, prayer is not the least you can do. Prayer is the most you can do. So keep praying. Let's pray now.